everyone, welcome back to Earth to the Earth on Survival Guide, episode 101. We got here, triple digits. Uh, this is the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters, and the questers that are Josh and Dan. I am Dan. With me is Josh. I am Josh. Yes, indeed. We are here. We're going to be palindromatical tonight. Exactly. We're going to go with that word as well. Uh, also quizzical and arrowentical because we have emails and a dragon to talk about. So we'll be getting to uh, Joss, the late Vastenjoss here as we get there. But first, on episode 101, we have our first email in the triple digits. And it is a doozy. We got a couple of them here this week. Hey, you two. This is, this is from Sebastian. I've heard you talk about alchemists today. And that's actually been something I have been looking into making for one of my players as he had specifically requested it. And let's just say up front that both the concept as a discipline and within the world are more than fishy. But since this is just for my home game, it's something of a side project that gets about an hour of thought put into it every week or two. My idea behind the mechanics was to give them a magician-like structure, but have their talents mostly centered around scholarly pursuits, mostly talent options for wizard and weaponsmith, and to throw in some wilderness and nature, mostly borrowing from scouts. The Circle 5 ability would be like the makeshift forge ability of the weaponsmith, but with an alchemy lab instead of spells. They would have concoctions, which are learned in the same way as spells. These would be thrown, of course, because I love throwing weapons and hate to miss a chance to give them that talent some more relevance. What I mean with magician-like structures was to give them matrices that act as containers for ingredients rather than spells. Think of them as a very limited versions of the astral pocket talent, and then a list of spell-like concoctions that mix ingredients from these containers. Each concoction would be given a number of keywords, like elemental spells, but these keywords would then be related to categories of ingredients, say poisons, herbs, spores, tinctures, catalysts, etc. The exact keywords are still a work in progress. Not too many, not too few. So an alchemist would eventually have a container matrices for each ingredient category, if they so choose, and filling these would be part of their karma ritual, and maybe somewhat up to GM discretion with alchemy and botany tests. Big hole to fill there, conceptually. Instead of weaving threads, they would have a they would have to beat a mixing difficulty with some concoctions taking multiple rounds, like weaving multiple threads, and air quotes casting the concoction would be more like literal by just throwing it. Haha. <laughs> Damaging concoctions, let's call one sorrel acid, would have to beat the target's physical defense, and if they are area effects, then you probably shouldn't throw them near your allies, just like fireballs. As for healing concoctions, let's say to throwing a last chance like concoction, they would have to make a two mixing tests against a 10, circle six equivalent spell, and then they could throw it at their deadish ally. They could add extra ingredients like extra threads to add plus two to the associated tests. A healing concoction would have the herb and tinctures keyword, while a damaging one could be poison and catalyst. Each would require the associated matrix containers to be raised to the rank the concoction was learned to support a circle six concoction. You'd need both matrix containers to be rank six. Still a bit hung up on ideas on how to make this stuff scale later on, but there are some ideas in my head, like adding second shot to replace concise casting, and something like a quick mix talent to replace spliced weave. Now, there are still a lot of holes to fill, but that's the general idea behind it. I currently have a circle 1 through 8 about 70% done, but I'm very much aware that this discipline will only ever see use in my home game. And then there is the issue of circles 9 through 15, which gets really tricky as I have to further abstract the concepts and increase the power. Also, designing concoctions, spells, is really hard, so kudos to Morgan for not going crazy. Best regards, Sebastian. Josh, thoughts? Um, and that's cool. Why, and that's why we don't do it? <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying what you're doing there. I mean, there's some interesting 
ideas there. It reminds me, I can't remember the name of it right now, but there's a Pathfinder class that's like an alchemist kind of thing that does a, a similar idea. I seem to recall, and I don't know whether Sebastian was involved in the discussion or is on the Discord, because there was a discussion that popped up on the Fast Games Discord after the alchemist question thing went live <laughs> on the podcast and some discussion about that. And a lot of it, I seem to recall, did kind of relate to the idea of some of it at least wanted to. I want to throw magical grenades kind of thing. Well, who doesn't? Which I get that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I just, it doesn't feel particularly in flavor for Earth Dawn, or at least not enough of one to be something that requires an entire discipline. Fair. I mean, I kind of like the breakdown that's being done in that of different keywords and needing to scale those up in order to make stuff on the fly and maybe modeling a little bit after spellcasters in terms of how that works. I mean, that that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. And I appreciate that the that Sebastian's reaction is there's a lot of work that goes into this stuff <laughs> than I thought. Yeah. And it's not something that is likely to ever see any kind of appearance in a mainline Earth Dawn product. Yeah. Morgan did bring something up in that discussion on the Discord a few weeks back about how the problem with making alchemy a talent is that once you do that, the cat's out of the bag and there's no way to put it back in. There are some potential issues that come about as a result of opening that box. Like, making it available to Questors of Garland as a devotion is already kind of pushing the line yeah. in that regard. But just making it available as a talent, because if you make it available as a talent, that means that any human with versatility therefore could conceivably pick it up. And that just does all kinds of bad, bad things. Human versatility is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Versatility is amazing. But any time that we're coming up with a talent or any time that we are coming up with something new like that, the question becomes, well, if this is something that would be really well suited to one of the existing disciplines, why don't they have it yet? Which is why, talking about paths, there aren't a whole lot of new talents that are available, and most of the ones that are, are very specifically tailored to a particular thing and are gated behind those path requirements. Yeah. And a lot of the more broadly useful stuff appears as knacks because then we can give it as a knack to Multiple, disciplines that yeah. would conceivably have access to it. Fair enough. You know, when you get this far mechanically into the development life cycle, there's a lot of stuff that you need to consider when you're coming up with new things. It's very granular. I mean, one little one little grain of yeah. sandals stop this cog <laughs> this cog machine working. Right. And there's a lot of knock-on effects of things. One of the things that I like to hear to a certain extent from people who come to fourth edition and are like, I read it and I didn't have a very good reaction to this thing particularly, but then we played around with it and we realized how much that interacts with all of these other subsystems. And so if you wanted to change this one thing, you kind of need to think about 
how that has carry on effects two or three levels down yeah, degrees of remove from it. Mm-hmm. And so it it was not just a case of certainly as we've gotten farther along, it is less and less a case of, oh, we just thought something was cool and decided to change it to change it. Yeah. There were reasons why, in one sense, that we chose five as the multiple for additional successes as opposed to four or, or six or whatever, like mathematically yeah. might have been more true to the whatever. Mm-hmm. It's that multiples of five are easier to deal with because multiples of five are also multiples of 10. Yes. Or like, you know, lead into tens and tens are easy to deal with. And again, that's why most of the time the bonuses from stuff are in multiples of two because multiples of two are also relatively easy to handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, anyway, it's easier learning. I'm rambling now. No, you're fine. First 10 minutes, that's what we do. No worries. Uh, next email is from Chad. Hi, Josh. Really, Chad? Really? Just hi, Josh. Really? Hi, Dan. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Uh, my Earthon group loves the Earthon, uh, loves the EDSG podcast, and we frequently bring it up at sessions. Our Elven Weaponsmith is quite possibly your biggest fan. We try not to not to count how many times he says, Josh says, at the table, but it's a lot. He submitted questions before, and I'm sure there are more to come. We designed a group symbol when created when created a group true pattern and I'm surprising them with vinyl stickers for Christmas. I'd like to send some to oh, you and Dan awesome. too. I love the idea of the vinyl stickers. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing a PO box or address, if that's weird and you don't want to share, no worries at all. Uh, we're not gonna do it on the air by the way. Uh, thank you for all. Thank you for all the work you do making our hobby better. Best wishes for you in the podcast in 2022. Chad. Uh, he sent along the art. I love the art. I love the group. Symbol. He did. He did send along the picture. Um, I will try and remember to post the picture on the Twitter feed when this episode goes live. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get that info to you, Chad, because um, I like it when people make cool stuff and Send give it, it to, to us. us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about free swag, man. All for it. Uh, absolutely. So uh, next email up is from Lee. Hi, guys. See? Plural plural. Uh, if I missed it, congratulations on making your episodical milestone. Historically, you have Archimedes, Carthage's greatest thinker, and if it wasn't for those pesky Romans who knows what other things he could have come up with, some pop culture references for alchemy appearing in mainstream entertainment, there's 300 and Game of Thrones. In 300, there were the grenade-throwing wizards, I forget the exact term used in the film for them, but to me they say 300 throwing weapon, the one specialist Earthon doesn't have, apart from Morgan's unofficial blog listing. Alchemy, there's no other explanation for iron or clay exploding pots in that context. And special group membership, patronage by Xerxes. Game of Thrones, green explodey concoction of death. Special group membership, more patronage here yet again. Yep, and you're right, it's nowhere near enough for discipline in its own right. But there's something minimal there for someone to work on if they do want to take it forward as a path. Anywho, that's all from me again. Hope you both have a great Christmas and an awesome 2022, Lee. Thank you, Lee. Yeah, not really any questions there. No, but that's cool. Appreciate I, that. I like the two the two cents thrown in. The the problem with throwing weapons is that the range is more limited compared to missile weapons. You generally cannot have as many of them handy on hand. I mean, you can carry like a whole bunch of throwing daggers or whatever, but when it comes to the balance of damage that you would do using, say, forge weapon. Yeah. Right. 
the problem that you run into is that you can use forge weapon on a bow or crossbow and that damage increase applies to all of the ammunition that it fires. So you're only increasing the, the damage capability of one item. If you are trying to do the same for throwing weapons, you need to do that for each individual dagger, hawk hatchet, whatever. Yep. And that can get a little bit unbalanced in terms of the cost that you need to have, or you sink all of it into one weapon, which you throw, and then you don't have any more for the rest of the fight. Yeah. Unless you like move to go and pick it up, or you develop some kind of, or I mean, basically you could use call missile. Mm -hmm. The archer talent does allow you, I think, to recall thrown weapons as well. You are correct. But still, it doesn't work so great, generally speaking. And I don't recall the details about Morgan's attempt to make a throwing weapons type character. I'm sure it's decent, but I don't remember what kind of special tricks that he cooked up in order to make it a little bit more viable as a style. Haven't seen that entry, but I'm sure Morgan did a bang up job as usual. So, but it's not official. Knock yourself out. Uh, on to Aaron, our last email. And then we'll get on to the uh, uh, legacy of Vast and Joss. Uh, hi, both. See, both. There we go. Uh, amazing job as always. I'm keeping up with the episodes, especially enjoying the dragon episodes. So keep up with the good work and thank you. No one's mentioning the paths episodes, but they all like to hear about the dragons. Just saying. My one question today is... Well, dragons are cool. Well, yeah, I know. We got questions. If Icewing and Mountain Shadow are from the same clutch slash brothers, how come Icewing is considered an elder dragon and Mountain Shadow only a great dragon? I use the word only for emphasis. Let's be honest, it's nothing to be sneered at. I was under the impression that seniority in the dragon society is based on age primarily, or is there something in the deeds that they do, or their knowledge or political influence maybe that would offer a distinction between the two? And if so, what is that distinction in this case? Thanks, as always, for the weekly entertainment, and Merry Christmas. Aaron. I don't personally consider there to be a difference between elder and great within that context. I think they are both titles or honorifics that are given to dragons who have achieved that lofty status. Yeah. So I don't consider there to be a difference between the two in that regard. I think that's being a little bit too nitpicky on the word choice <laughs> fair and i would need to like go and look and see is this something that's actually what the context of those words are used in the essays and the the whatever that the outcast is there's a whole lot of analysis and and research that i would need to do but my gut reaction is there is nothing that has actually indicated that there's a difference between elder dragon or great dragon so i wouldn't consider there i wouldn't cons i would consider that a distinction without a difference yeah it's maybe he's hatched what a minute earlier whatever but and i'm just making that up <laughs> yeah i don't know and they're dragons yes age probably deeds and whatnot maybe have something to do with it but that's something that we don't have an actual lot of insight on uh interchangeable words no big deal uh thank you one and all for emailing us and uh, for the sticker. Love that as well. And if you have any more free swag, we'd love to have that too. So anyway, on to the arrowentical portion of our show today. Episode 101, Vast and Joss, the late, no longer here, uh, aka Tail Speaker. 
because that is how the outcast referred to him, and that is one of his many nicknames. He actually has a few nicknames, Master of Secrets, yeah, Eater of Cities, uh, Vast and Just the Terrible, and of course, Tail Speaker. So he's got a few nicknames out there. So first of all, yes, <laughs> I would like to defend Tail Speaker's honor here. It was just the one city, okay? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> we were going to get to that tale eventually, but yeah, it's just, just one city, and they had it coming, because Thera kind of started a thing going on, sowed some discontent, because he was trying to teach them how to protect themselves during the Scourge, and Thera couldn't have that. You, you can't give those things away for free. Um, and so the Therans sowed some discontent in... Was it Gateway? Yeah, Gateway. And they tried to roust him from his lair. And that's not what you do to a dragon who's trying to be nice to you. And so they brought it upon themselves, to Josh's point. Just the one city. Just the one. Just the one. And Fast and Jass brought that point up originally. <laughs> yes. They brought this upon themselves. End of story. <laughs> right. Because that's what you do. Anyway, Fast and Jass... Uh, and this wasn't even part of the fourth edition thing. This was actually just, I think this happened in second edition as well, but you went and kept it. Uh, Vasenjas was killed at the Battle of Vivane right before Skypoint fell. And so that, I think, is the one holdover from second edition to make it into fourth. Am I, am I speaking out of turn on that, or is that correct? I am pretty sure that was something that was included in the original outline. Yes, because it was in Bar the Save second edition book. Right. I And so that, I think the circumstances, the exact details of, of how he died are a little bit different, but the death of Vastinjas was part of the original outline. Fair. So the plot point remains the same, just how it got there may be right. different in the telling. Nothing big there. So, uh, Outcast kind of refers to Vastinjas as more or less a dragon troubadour, if there were one, because he is a teller of tales, the information giver, and information collector. And so Vastinjas kind of operated like a troubadour, a name giver troubadour, because he would collect the information, disseminate the information. Um, not that anybody had a real huge disagreement with giving the name givers information per se. Sometimes the outcast did. Maybe the council not necessarily did. Uh, Mountain Shadow didn't have a problem with it as well. Um, but outcast calls him a hypocrite in a lot of places throughout this entire essay that, yeah, he liked the name giver races. He tried to teach them like children, but he also believed that the name giver races should be, you know, honoring the dragons and uh, deferential to them and subservient and so forth and so on. So, Take your pick. Outcast's word is outcast's word. And whatever that's good for, kind of go from there a little bit. But Vasenjas was the lore master of Dragonkind, which is the keeper of the history of the dragons and all the movings, shakings, and goings on. But it was also the keeper of all the dragon etiquette and their traditions as they were handed down from time immemorial. So Vasenjas's lair contains all this knowledge because Vasenjas, as I said, is no more. But yeah, th that was the role he took upon himself after Thermale. Uh, so Vasenjas basically believed in passing on knowledge to the lesser races to both educate them and guide them. Um, but he did kind of believe that the younger races are to be treated like children. So 
don't give them don't give them too much responsibility or power because they can't handle it. Right. However, Vasenjas being the great dragon that he was, uh, had a great mind, was clever of tongue, but kind of avoided physical conflict because when you can talk your way out of a fight, you do. But he did have sharp claws and sharp teeth. He was not exactly a slacker in that dimension. So if he needed to bring it, oh, wait, he burned down Gateway. Uh, he could bring it, but one of those things. Um, and in the telling of the tale, uh, as I said, I'd like to go through, pardon me, the descriptions of the dragons. So just so we can get a picture of what Vast and Jazz looked like. He was basically the size of a larger frigate, an airship, but his scales were the color of the stone he used to rest on. So it's kind of a tan gray, uh, kind of a dun color, D-U-N. I had to go look that one up actually, because horses are sometimes dun colored, but his coloring faded to yellow on his wings and his horns were rather straight. So not curly, pretty straight horns. So if you're looking for a, a description, there you are. But he did lair on Mount Wormspire in the Scythe Mountains. Wait, isn't that where Gateway was? Is it in the Scythe Mountains? I think so. I mean, we, we talked about Asante. Yes. The female dragon, because she was wrapped up very heavily with the dwarves of Scytha and came into conflict with Vazd and Jass over what was going on with the dwarfs and things like that. Yes. Kind of where this all came from. But not only since he wasn't exactly a very physical dragon, as we said, as Outcast says, more mental and, you know, a, a silver tongue uh, character as you were. He was very highly knowledgeable in magic. And his magical skills were mostly wizard spells, illusionist spells, nethermaster spells, eh, a little elementalism here and there. Um, but he was really prolific at dragon sight, which is pattern reading. And being the keeper of knowledge and the gatherer of knowledge, if you can read a pattern about a person or place or a thing, that's deeper knowledge than most people can discern. And so... That's what he liked to do, and he was really, really good at pattern reading, and also in thread magic, and along with Icewing, because he partnered with Icewing quite frequently, he also helped to develop the Dance of the Blue Spirit for Drake creation. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing is he had a couple of things about when he died, in whichever way he died for fourth edition, when he died, he left behind a lair which has not been reclaimed because the ritual of succession has not quite yet been performed by the dragons. Is that right? Or is that not? Been that is not before? right. Okay. That is not right. We just haven't revealed. Fair. If any dragon has claimed the lair on Mount Wormspire, mm -hmm. but there absolutely would have been the rite of succession that happened soon after his death where the title of Loremaster got passed to Mountain Shadow. Gotcha. And the distribution of his other stuff. Now, I don't think that any of the other great dragons would have had any interest in claiming his lair, but it's very possible that one of the, uh, one of his sort of allied adult dragons might have claimed that space in the wake of his death. But that, that particular detail is not something that has been published yet. Revealed yeah. or explored. No, fair. Because the essay in the second edition book does say that it hasn't been decided or determined, but 
between second edition and fourth edition, there's a little bit of time in there. So I went back to the original Bar Save at War outline. Gotcha. From first edition. Yes, yes. And it does talk about the, uh, in the days following his death, the great dragons of Barsave engage in the right of succession, contesting ownership of his possessions. Gotcha. So that's something that happens relatively soon after his passing. And of course, fourth edition is set half a dozen years later. So exactly. even if it takes a little bit of time. In, in dragon chronology, yeah. Yeah. I think the only detail that really has been settled on is that Mountain Shadow is the new lore master. And that is largely because of legacy considerations Fair. tied into like Shadowrun stuff and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Make all that tie together. And I don't see any reason why it would be anyone else. I was trying to figure out, just because I hadn't gotten to the Bar Save at War outline, I was trying to figure out, did we already cover who the new lore master is? Because we've done every dragon except this one and couldn't find it. So I'm like, nah, it's okay. It just wasn't in the essays in the dragon source book from second edition. So that's okay. I'm glad you updated us on uh, the unpublished. Yeah, I, it actually, I, I was just doing a quick scan of the GM's guide, the fourth edition GM's guide, because if it was mentioned, that's where it would be mentioned. Fair. But it's not mentioned in there, or at least the term lore master, whether as one word or two words, does not show up in that book. Fair. So I guess I can sort of revise that and say, officially, there has not been any details released on that in my own head it's mountain shadow unless we can come up with a compelling reason for it not to be <laughs> for somebody else to have it yeah in which case that will be revealed in a book when it matters fair i like that answer because i think mountain shadow makes the most amount Look, of sense anyway yeah i don't like the idea ultimately of locking anything down that has not yet been published in a book. <laughs> so it is not re it is not revealed as far as I know in any fourth edition book who the current dragon lore master is. In my brain, it's probably Mountain Shadow, but that is subject to change if we find a more interesting answer when we need one. I'm okay with that. <clears throat> well, you better be. I have no say in the matter, so I'm okay with that. Uh, listeners, be okay with that. And end of story. So basically, Vasenjas, um, great dragon that he was, tail speaker, left a few things behind upon his death, as you know, you do when you die. Um, not only is his lair likely filled with memory crystals full of um, history and etiquette and traditions and who did what in dragon history, uh, but also he left behind a few servants. He did have a few name givers who came to see him and informed him. But that's also speculated by the outcast that those are probably more or less the vast majority of the drakes that he created. Maybe a couple of adventuring groups, maybe a couple of, of adepts came in as well to talk about things and exchange information. But more than likely it was just his drakes coming to see him in human form, tell him tales that they, he didn't otherwise know about, but otherwise he didn't really have a lot of animal servants. He preferred the name givers. He liked an intelligent mm -hmm. conversation and people who could do things of their own volition and make decisions more or less in, in, in an intelligent manner. Um, he would occasionally use some minor spirits, but not very often. But he did make a lot of drakes and he let them travel. But here's the funny thing. 
Outcast does not know the names of these drakes. So there's a nice little entryway for some game masters to use for how to include the legacy of Vast and Jazz, perhaps. Yeah. One thing actually that's very curious uh, with regards to Vast and Jazz and the essay, whether you're looking at the original Dragon Sourcebook version or the revised second edition, because the original version, of course, does not refer to him being dead because he wasn't dead. Yeah. He, he would not have died until after that book was released. But many of the dragons in the book that we have talked about thus far, it does mention drakes, names of their drakes, if they have them. Mm-hmm. It talks about them to a certain extent. Vast and Jass doesn't have any drakes that are named. He has drakes. We know he has drakes, but we don't know who they are. Yeah. So that's great. That's like an open thing to fill in. One thing that's very curious, though, is that there are several adult dragons mm-hmm. that are named in the essay as his followers and allies, which we don't get in any of the other dragon essays. Like we have Charcoal Grin and Asante and Night Sky, like we've got some adult dragons that are yeah. named and described, but we don't get anything where here are three or four adult dragons that layer in the dragon mountains and are allied with mountain shadow. Yeah. They were from eggs that he raised and whatnot. We don't get that for any of the other dragons except for Vast and Jess. Yeah. Which I found uh, wonderful because he was actually in charge of this clutch. And so after they hatched. Right. This was the clutch of eggs that Thermale had when Thermale died. Yes. When Thermale impaled herself upon the peak of Mount Wormspire, <laughs> which is where it got its name. Yes. And so that is where, you know, that's part of the reason why Vast and Jass, like took over her lair mm-hmm. and basically took the care of the eggs upon himself. And these are the ones that he raised as they were still in their shells. And then after, the, of course, they emerged from their shells, if they hatched, these three all lair within the side of the mountains. So probably maybe one or two might drop by his previous lair, but otherwise they may have their own lair not too far away, in fact. So you might see these three because um, Hydra's Bane is a female with dusky blue scales and ivory claws. Griceval is a male albino, so he's stark white through the red eyes. He's otherwise known as the Phantom Dragon or the Ghost of Scytha because he's frequently seen in the air above... Um, Gateway, and Griceval does hire adepts, knows Nethermancy, and really approves of the horror stalkers and likes to, you know, guide them as much as he possibly can. Uh, and Lotiara is a female. Don't have her description, but I kind of just imagine her as being red, because we have blue, white, and why not red? Um, but Lotiara also has not, has followed in. Fast and Jess's footsteps as being the pattern reader as well. And so she likes to actually help out the adepts for a price, kind of like Icewing, in if you have a magic item or whatever, have her go read it for you because she's got, you know, dragon sight and she can probably be better at it than most name givers. But those are the three. Yeah, those are the three that were from Thermale's last clutch, the ones that Vast and Jess raised. And each of them can provide interesting hooks and opportunities, depending on what you're doing. 
Grisval would be a dragon that would be a patron of any groups that are looking to explore or uncover uh, secrets or information or delving into the ruins of the dwarf kingdom of Scytha. You know, you've got Lotiara kind of filling in, in in one sense, the role that Vazdanjast did as a scholar and in contact with the younger races. Yeah. There's a word that I'm looking for, uh, liaison. Ah, yeah, it's a good word. With the younger races and and deals speaking with them. And Hydra's Bane, so named because she <laughs> is obsessed with hunting down and slaying Hydras. And also tracking down information about ways to possibly undo the magic that was used to create them in the first place. Yeah. So And I think it's actually, you know, that you that you've got Vazdanjas and his domain is sort of in a sense unclaimed as far as great dragons go. Yeah. But that these three like close adult dragon allies, young but still adult dragons, are all kind of in that area pursuing their own agendas. It would be interesting as a potential story hook or campaign idea or something if you're playing around those lines. Obviously, if you're dealing with the Denerastus and Aeopos because of their connection with Hydras in the first place, as revealed in the essay, mm-hmm. that's something that could tie them in. Dealing with adult dragons, uh, you kind of, we talked about uh, Asante and Night Sky. And like what's going on with them in terms of their relationship to draconic politics and the relationships between the great dragons and so forth. And how that interaction and their relationship with dragon society thus far is kind of different to these other three mm-hmm. who are a bit more traditionalist and were raised by the now fallen former lore speaker or lore master. Yeah. And I like that we actually do get some additional insights, characters that actually Griswold and um, Lotiara both get mentioned in the original Bar Save It War outline. Nice. They are actually present there at the Battle of Sky Point mm-hmm. where Vast and Jass falls and go berserk and attack the Therans and then... Uh, fly off to let the other dragons know what has happened. So they they actually are a presence that would could have potentially served as an ongoing hook or story idea. Yeah. Again, like looking at these older products, particularly the ones at the tail end, and revisiting them. You know, for me, for the first time in a while, not having had a real reason to dive into them before. Yeah. But to find these ready-to-go hooks and ideas that could be developed in numerous ways mm-hmm. going forward is is still still great. It's still wonderful to kind of find these and going, okay, well, we know how some of the hooks that were in the earlier books paid off in later ones. These are hooks that were kind of played out there sort of towards the end. What could have potentially been done with them other than just like, hey, these things are out there, and if we decide that we want to hang something on them later on... It's there to... They're there and ready to go. Yeah. I, I liked them all. Um, I think Vast and Joss was given enough room posthumously to still fulfill. They did a good job with developing him as an independent personality and not just a copycat of another dragon. Well, Vast and Jazz also had the 
advantage of being the dragon that was most developed as a personality. Yeah. Because he was the narrator of Creatures of Barsave. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of insight into him as a character, yes, as an individual, because of the way that he talks about these creatures, that we don't get that same kind of insight into Aban or Usun or Icewing. We kind of get a good chunk of it from for Mountain Shadow through his appearances in the early Earth Dawn novels, but also just by extension, knowing that he is dunkles on and all of the characterization that he got in the Shadowrun era yeah. and a lot of that that we can kind of reflect back into the past knowing that at least originally this was the same individual after you know centuries of mm-hmm. learning and growth and whatever much like as we've been going through these essays we get nice insight in some ways into the personality and character of the outcast because of the way that he's talking about these other individuals mm-hmm. And so it's really, it's great. I don't say, I haven't said that often <laughs> enough lately. The death of Vazdanjas in one way was really great because it shakes things up a little bit. It is a character that even if you might not have had him be a big presence in your actual game at the table, mm-hmm. his presence within the books. In the setting. It, in the setting, but but because of his presence within the books, yes. within Creatures of Barsave, within what would have been the first half of the Dragon's book, mm-hmm. right? So we would have had like two, like a whole book and like half of another one. Yeah. And Mountain Shadow as kind of a narrator commentator on the Outcast essays mm-hmm. kind of gets some character development that way as well. There's a character there whose death would have an impact on the fans and the players and so forth, even if they had never as characters interacted with him necessarily. I mean, it's possible that they would have, but that's something that would have had an impact and a resonance because of that existence as a personality. Actually, Icewing gets a little bit of development in the old Bar Save at War supplement because he's tied into the whole Ardelia Hefera thing, Um, but not to the extent that Vast and Jazz or Mountain Shadow or the Outcast get. Yeah. So there's, I think there's a number of ways to work in <clears throat> Vast and Jazz's legacy or the other people in his orbit because as Hydra's Bane, easy to work in. Gricefall, also easy to work in, especially if you're going to be a horror stalker. Go seek him out for any kind of assistance. Um, Lotiara, also easy to work in as well. <clears throat> now, motivationally speaking, it's a rumor that the outcast put out there that Vasenjas may have hidden other memory crystals around Barsave all over the place. Maybe not a different lair, but just in certain little hidey holes that only Vasenjas knew about. Maybe his drakes know about. Who knows? And so that could be just a little tiny adventure nugget <clears throat> to drop in somewhere. Oh, you found this crystal. You don't quite know what it does. Perhaps you need to go see, you know, one of the dragons. You've got two that like to like to meet with people. Um, Gricefall, especially. Lotiara, also as well. And maybe Icewing. So, you know, three dragons that maybe you can go see for advice on this crystal you may have stumbled upon. Another thing that gets brought up in the essay is that Vazdanjas' study of patterns had led him to collect 
a number of notable pattern items, mm-hmm. which means, as as the outcast says, the pattern items that could be found in Vast and Jass's lair could make the capture of one of Varilus's pattern items seem minor by comparison. No details yeah. are really spilled there, but basically, like, we know how how significant the it was that they obtained Varilus, one of Varilus's pattern items. Mm-hmm. We know how important pattern items are in general because of that and because of other things and in general. But the fact that while, yes, there was the right of succession and there were things that had happened and so forth, there was a layer that who knows how long it could have been before it was secured. Mm -hmm. There were items that could have found their way out of that trove and into various other places. Yeah. Or into others' possessions. <laughs> you, you kind of talk about like story archetypes and whatnot. There's the idea of art from lost masters or, you know, these these items that are just kind of only rumored, but then crop up in an auction or whatever. Some kind of MacGuffin that a lot of people <laughs> are after for various reasons. Yeah. You could very easily tie that into... Vazd and Jass's horde in some way and have dragons, any of the dragons really be interested in getting involved in the pursuit of such an item because of the importance that it holds, both as something that would have conceivably been won as part of the right of succession, but also how it's a interesting and or powerful item that you want to make sure is in the right hands. Exactly. So I think... Vast and Joss got a wonderful treatment posthumously. His servants and his helpers and his clutch of other dragons, adult dragons, got handled nicely as well. There's just enough there to whet your appetite, maybe include them. You've got enough to go on on a personality or description, and you've got enough motivation for all three of them. It's just like, eh, they're there, whatever. No, there's there's a good paragraph that flushes them out significantly enough be able to use them in a campaign if you want to. So I think Vassinjas got a good send-off. Yeah. I'm going to miss him, but I like what can come about as a result. Fair. I also find that the, the essay has one little tidbit in there that does lay to rest that Outcast puts forth that Vassinjas was intentionally lying about wyverns in the Creatures of Barsave book. That they're not dragons, but really they are dragons just in their adolescent stage. But he was trying to cover, he was trying to be nice to Thermale's legacy and so forth. So that's the last little thing in there. So the the truth has been finally at the end of this dragon series of podcasts. Wyverns are actually adolescent dragons. It's laid to rest. No ifs, ands, or buts. Nope. (laughs) Any further thoughts on on what how people can maybe use Vastinjas in a campaign? I mean, if you're going to set it before his death, obviously you can, if you're still back in that timeline. Right. But in fourth edition timeline's been moved forward a little bit. I think there's plenty of opportunity to throw him in. Yeah. And you've also still got Tiabjan, the scribe that wrote, that physically wrote down the creatures of Barsave book. Absolutely. Tiabjan actually also shows up in Empty Thrones yeah. at one point. Um, he is also, he also has a presence there. No, I think we've covered everything pretty nicely with 
the old <laughs> tail speaker. Eater of city, singular, not plural. Eater of city. <laughs> well, when you eat one, you know, maybe you're going to eat. He just raised it to the ground. I mean, there was nothing left. You eat one city, they never let you live it down. You get a reputation, you know, and a nickname, obviously. So, folks, that'll wrap us up for this episode on Vast and Just. This actually should end our complete run on all of the dragons. Each dragon has now their own episodes. So if you want to include one in your campaign, feel free to go back and listen to that episode, get some ideas about it, and what Josh had to say about how to include them, where to go with it, why, where the five W's, why not, like journalism, and kind of take it from there and run. So any further thoughts on now that we've wrapped up all the dragons? Was it fun? No, it was fun. Dragons are great. I really enjoyed going back over this because, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, it had been a while since I had gone back and read (laughs) these. And while I didn't read many of these before we actually recorded, getting reminded of a lot of this and paging through the PDF as we are discussing them reminded me of a lot of things and maybe go, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. Let me file that away Mm -hmm. as something that we could possibly bring back and hook onto later if it seems interesting. Fair. I had not been super keen on the idea of a fourth edition dragons book Mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure what to do with it. Yeah. That could potentially be different from what was already out there. I, I needed a hook and there is enough information in here, enough loose ends in a way Mm -hmm. that inspired me to go, okay, now I've got some ideas that could potentially be useful if we decide to do a dragon's book and what kind of stories might develop in the present day of Bar Save rather than have this simply be a reprint of a book that already exists in some form. So you've got some ideas on how to update each one of the personalities and their movings and goings on. Right, but also just potential stories that could be there. Go back and listen to the Asante and Night Sky episode, and you can hear the cogs <laughs> clicking in my brain as ideas come to me as we are speaking about it. Yes. The recognition of what's going on in terms of their relationship to the dragons and what that could be in terms of spiraling out more story and potential conflict and issues within mm-hmm. that society. Yeah. And how that would consequently have repercussions at the adventurer level. I like it. So somewhere down the pipeline. I like it too. So somewhere down in the pipeline, maybe perhaps. I mean, we we do not have a Dragon's Book Slate. even tentatively slated for anything right now. No. But now I could see that as a possibility. Yeah. Where I could not before as, as much a year ago. No, it's okay. Uh, we're here to... Or six months ago, or however long it was that we started this. <laughs> it feels like six months, doesn't it? Who knows? Who knows? Time is weird. It is. Uh, especially when we record these and then release them weeks in the future. Yeah. I think we've got um, Josh's wheels working in his head that hopefully that hamster doesn't fall off that wheel anytime soon. Look, I've got wheels that need to be devoted to other things right now. Fair. <laughs> I came across a thing on... I think it was on, it must've been on Facebook today. That's a play on the old, there are two wolves inside of you. Yes. This one was there. There are two wolves inside of you. One wants to go gung ho on a million new projects. The other doesn't want to do anything that it isn't perfect at right away. Yep. 
<laughs> which to which my reaction is, ooh, wow, it's like looking in a mirror. Fair. I've got some other stuff that I need to devote my attention to before spiraling off into dragon conspiracies and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Scratch some ideas down, come back to them later. Sure. That's what notepads are for. So folks, until next time, if you have any questions. Well, well, hold on. One last thing that I want to mention here before we do our sign off wrap up. Yeah. Unrelated to dragons. Hit it. We don't do this very often, but again, we're here in episode 101. Yeah. If you like what we're doing, share, subscribe, rate, review. The reason that I mentioned that in particular is that if you listen to us on Spotify, yes. where actually a notable portion of our listeners are on Spotify, at least according to the stats that I get. It's like, what, 25 The mobile version, I don't, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Yeah. The mobile version of Spotify recently, so this is the one that would be on your phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. The mobile version of Spotify does now allow you to rate podcasts. Oh, there you go. So if you listen to us on Spotify... Drop us a rating. It has not gone out to the desktop version yet, mm-hmm. but if you have Spotify on your phone or tablet or whatever, you have the app for that, drop us a rating. That would be appreciated. That's all. Favorable if you like us. And if it's, if it's available on however other ways that you listen, obviously do it there too. Yes. But it's newly available on Spotify, so. We'll mention that. There you go. Absolutely. So if you do have any questions for us on rating us or whatever drop us a line at edsgpodcast at gmail.com it's been 100 episodes if you don't know that email address by now you're not paying attention welcome (laughs) welcome to 101 but until next time folks go tell the tale of your own legend good night everybody 